Hello, and welcome to Getting to Good Enough, a podcast to help you let go of perfectionism so you can do more of what you love. I'm Shannon Wilkinson, a life coach in Portland, Oregon. I'm a recovering perfectionist who's getting better at good enough. And I'm Janine Adams, a certified professional organizer in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm lucky enough to be, to be naturally good at good enough. <laughs> and today we're talking about good enough in practice with Vanessa Forster. Gosh, I am so great. I'm great for all sorts of reasons, but mostly because we have a wonderful guest today. I'm very excited. We, we do. We have Vanessa Forster with us. Say hi. Hi. Vanessa here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to um, be in company of like-minded, amazing women. So as you said, my name is Vanessa Forrester. I am a life coach for driven triathletes. So I'm based out of Bozeman, Montana, up in big sky country, and I help triathletes qualify for the Ironman World Championships, which we call Kona. And I also am, um, in the time of right now, helping beginner triathletes, BIPOC athletes, black indigenous people of color, make their way into the triathlon world. So I kind of do twofold in my life coaching world. That's so great. And that's um, one of the reasons why uh, I thought to have you on the podcast is because you and I know each other as coaching colleagues. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that you had struggled with some perfectionism. Yes, you know that firsthand. <laughs> Shannon, I would say that I am um, probably will always be a re recovering perfectionist for the rest of my life. But being aware of it, um, I'm able to to definitely work through it in different ways. But in my business, in my life, it's shown up in more ways than none, in more ways than one. And as you said, with this movement that I've that I've started, that I think we'll talk about in detail. It has been the perfect practice for me to throw <laughs> perfectionism out the window. There's no space for it here. <laughs> that is so awesome. It was like when when you started that, and we will get to the details in a minute, but I just have to like fangirl over you a little bit right now because it was just awe-inspiring to watch. Like it was felt like one second you were like, I'm not sure what to do. And then you were like, bam, and this thing exploded. Yeah, that's what it felt like on my side, too. <laughs> well, so before we get to, like, I really want to talk a lot about, you know, how you sort of uh, let go of your perfectionism to do that. Before, But before we move into that, I'd love to know a little bit more. Like, can you give us some specifics about when you were most likely to run into perfectionism? Yeah, most definitely. I'd say that the most relevant example and what I've been working with as of lately is in this practice of building my business and really wanting to speak to the right people and draw the, the crowd in that I know that I can help, that I know I can serve. I felt this strong pull to say the right things or deliver the perfect message that make people 
basically move them to move themselves, right? To take that mm-hmm. actionable step to reach out, to create that connection. And in the process of wanting to say the perfect thing or, or you know, write the perfect post or deliver the perfect message, I just got stuck in my own confusion. And instead of moving forward, I would just stall. And I wouldn't be able to get my message across even at all because I was waiting to figure it out and make everything sound perfect and want everyone to hear exactly what I have to say. And instead, no one heard it. (laughs) That's like the worst part about it, isn't it? That like Mm -hmm. you, you get so caught up in trying to get it right so that, you know, the right person hears the right message that no one gets to hear anything. Yeah, exactly. The exact opposite happens. And I was paralyzed many times. And there would be, there would be some time, some days where I'd be like, all right, today's the day I'm just going to, you know, write up an email or write up a post or, um, you know, make a live video and whatever comes across is just going to go. And I felt really proud on those examples, thinking that like, I've kind of turned that corner of, I'm I'm not stuck in that perfectionist Mm -hmm. grasp anymore. And then the next day, <laughs> I try to go for perfect again <laughs> and be in the cycle once again and, and stay in that stall cycle. Wow. Well, so I'm really curious, like, how did you transform to, I mean, what happened? Like, how did you get the idea for this movement? How, because I know one of the things with perfectionism is that, like, you could have an idea, like, you know, um, whatever it is you want to do, and then like second guess it almost immediately. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, how can I get it right? I don't know how to do it. It's too overwhelming. You know, all the different ways that perfectionism can come in. How did you move forward with this amazing idea? Yeah, that is a really good question. I feel like it's the crux of it because, you know, in this this social and racial injustice world that we're living in right now, I think it's very easy to fall into that pocket of, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to create enough change. It's not good enough, that, co- that kind of space. Mm-hmm. And to back up a little bit to, to first answer the first part of your question of what, what made me want to start this, it was because about almost three weeks ago now, around the 10th of the month, we were kind of at the heightened height of the beginning of the George Floyd murder and um, you know the the huge spotlight on the racial injustice and my as I mentioned my business my life coaching business I support triathletes wanting to qualify for Kona and right. that's that's being the Ironman World Championships Ironman itself is a brand of triathlon and Ironman had not put out a statement on the BLM Mm -hmm. movement. And that didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. So I had some work to do there. And I was basically at a decision making spot where either I would pivot my business and essentially my life because triathlon (laughs) is a very big part of my life. I've been racing long course triathlon for over a decade. I love it. And I've been very aware of the fact that there's a lack of diversity on triathlon start lines. But I'm the kind of person that has that has worked really hard on creating my own sense of belonging instead of waiting for other people to make me feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it over the course of the decade that, you know, that's not the normal mindset to go into anything really, especially not in the athletic world. So, you know, I was at this pivot or I was at this decision-making 
place to either pivot or become the leader that I was waiting to see. And that's really what changed for me because I, I found myself blaming Ironman, blaming the companies that weren't stepping up to support the BLM movement. And I knew that I love triathlon and I love the ability to connect people and bring new people into a sport that I love. So I just, it really, like the underlying foundational answer, what changed for me is the power of coaching and the power of shifting out of blame and into responsibility. Because I, instead of waiting for someone else and passing the responsibility and blame off to someone else, I looked at myself and said, okay, what what, what can I do? Even if it's small in the beginning, Mm -hmm. what I know to be true is that I believe strongly in being able to change the world. And it takes all of us, not just the organizations at the higher level, like Ironman or the USA Triathlon Foundation. Um, It takes you know, the bigger companies as well as the individuals. And so what changed for me was deciding to become that leader instead of waiting for someone else. That is so powerful. And inspirational. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it was a little terrifying. It was a little terrifying, but to, you know, to your perfectionist, to the, to the question about the perfectionism is I made a deal with myself like straight up, I said, if I'm going to do this, I have to be willing to mess all of it up Mm -hmm. because I've never done it before because no one's ever done it before. And that was the deal that I made with myself. I actually made two deals. One, I have to be willing to mess it up. And two, I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it simple Mm -hmm. because I want it to be an easy yes for everyone involved. What I know is that a confused mind says no, and I wanted, I wanted everyone that came across it to be a yes. But it first and foremost took me to say, guess what? I might screw everything up, but guess what? I'll learn along the way, so it's all good. And there's no one to compare me to because no one's ever done this before. <laughs> that sounds like there's a lot of freedom in recognizing that. Oh my gosh, there's, there was so much freedom. So much, and you know, there's so many lessons to learn and take into other areas of my life that I'm now working to bridge that into, but that's exactly what it was, was freedom from feeling almost stalled from inaction and these like, these like shackles of perfectionism. Right. I was freed from that for sure. Wow, that's huge. And I just want our listeners to know, in case they aren't familiar with the world of triathlon, um, what is it like? I I know it's a predominantly white Mm -hmm. sport. Can you give us a statistic on, you know, what you were facing here? Yeah, definitely. So Ironman actually put out a statement that said, less than 1% of their participants are black athletes. And each event, uh, they're called all over the world, and each event Mm -hmm. is about 2,500 to 3,000 athletes. So if you take that to like the granular race specific, out of 2,500, 25 of them being of color, that's all it is. And I've raced five Ironman races and countless half Ironman. And that's definitely been my experience. And 
you know, so my goal with this whole movement was to make the start lines that I go back to more colorful than the ones that I left mm-hmm. because we're not racing right now with COVID and right. I, we're not sure if we're going to be able to race in the end of 2020 or if it's going to go to 2021. But for me, it doesn't matter because um, this movement is meant to bring more diversity and inclusion to start lines whenever we go back and knowing what I've left, I, we only have a, a way to go up from here, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely been my experience is that, you know, less than 1% being colored. And, you know, with my focus in terms of my business on the Ironman World Championships, that's even a smaller right. fraction at the, at the pointy end of it. Um, yeah. I'm actually friends with a woman that's trying to become the first African-American professional triathlete because there isn't one in 2020. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And these types of things people just don't know about. Right. You know, we, we as triathletes and then the world outside of triathlon, if it's not something that you spend time in, we just go about our, the motions, go about our lives as if everything that we're a part of is a reflection of the world around us, which is just not true. Right. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you're coaching athletes at the highest level of your sport and that's not what you're focusing on in this movement right right Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about how you came or who you're focusing on and how you came to the uh, idea to do that Mm -hmm. yeah so I'm focusing on basically the other side Um, I'm focusing on so black indigenous or, or people of color that are already athletes so it's not necessarily someone that's off the couch. It's someone that maybe participates in a different sport that's not triathlon. Maybe they run already. Maybe they play badminton or basketball or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they play. So they're in kind of that mindset of being an athlete and, and active, and they have an interest in triathlon. And from there, what the movement does is it bridges the gap between their interest in triathlon and triathlon coaches that will provide knowledge and support because there are so many barriers to the sport. I know that. And that's one of the things that was one of the pieces that I feared would hold me back in the perfectionist state of, well, I can't knock down all of the barriers. So why would I even try sort of that sort of mindset? And what I know is that, yeah, I can't knock them all down, but I can do a little bit of work in one of them. And the Mm -hmm. one that I chose was knowledge and support. So I found 50 BIPOC athletes and 25 25 triathlon coaches, and I am pairing them together to bridge that gap and knock down that knowledge and support. So the coaches are offering three months of free coaching, triathlon coaching, to the athletes. And it's not just a plan. They just like give it to them and let them go. They give them the plan and also give them support and coaching along the way for the three months. So, So it's catered to beginner triathletes, but they're already athletes. And the reason behind that was to introduce more people of color to the sport of triathlon, knowing that it's going to take a while. It's not going to be an immediate change to make those start lines more colorful, but it's got to start from somewhere. It has to start from somewhere. So if I can find people that are already active, that are already putting time and effort into their physical wellness, and they have an interest in triathlon, like, why not help them get there sooner? Right. 
And I can imagine that, you know, as an athlete, that if you're thinking about triathlon and you have any tendency towards perfectionism, it would be pretty easy to get overwhelmed from the get-go because racing triathlon is complicated. (laughs) There's a lot to it. Well, there's three sports, so definitely. Yes, yes. And that's, I think that's something that the coaches can help with, you know, exactly. having that knowledge, having that support to answer those questions, to see how different coaches would support in that realm or their other athletes, because the coaches that I have on board, they're already existing triathlon coaches. So they have a roster of athletes and those athletes can then become support for the beginner to, for the new athlete that's joining on mm-hmm. to lend to exactly what you're talking about is how how do you balance, you know, wanting to do it perfectly from the beginning? Because it is, it is a complicated sport. We have three sports to balance, and then you got to eat enough to. Right. <laughs> I know nutrition is yes. like the hugest thing, especially if you're doing like the full Ironman length yeah. triathlon. Yeah, That's I intense. always say there's like five pieces of it. There's swim, bike, run. Then there's nutrition and hydration and mindset. There, there's. It's not just the swim, bike, run, and that. Uh, nutrition and hydration is a big part of it. It's it's kind of an art, to be honest. Once you figure that out, you're you're golden. You're golden. Yeah. But you can't be you can't be stuck to your perfectionism there too. It's it's a bunch of trial and error. See what your yes. system's gonna <laughs> going to accept, especially over a long race like an Ironman. Right. I remember that from my marathon training. It was mm-hmm. like you just try all these different things, and sometimes they didn't work <laughs> in a very <laughs> apparent way. And, um, you know, other times I did, but it is, it's, you can't get perfectionistic about it. You just, and you, and it changes over time. So you really do have to cultivate a good enough, uh, mindset to, to enter into this. Yeah. 100%. It's exactly it. Good enough that like B minus is good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Which seems crazy because, I, I don't know, just attempting a triathlon to me seems like it, you know, elevates you a couple of grade points. So <laughs> yeah, it'll get you, it, it elevates maybe, yeah, but your your approach <laughs> to it from then on out, because really it's it's this practice of being in problem solving mode, like yeah. all the time, you know, at the, at the long course level, our races are anywhere from, you know, depending on the day, 10 to 14 hours. I mean, the cutoff is 17 hours. So you could be out there for 17 hours. And there is never a race that's going to go perfectly. There's no such thing as a unicorn race. So if you're stuck and and caught up on everything being perfect and executing exactly your dream race, then you end up having a more negative experience because of your expectations of it. But if you go into it with a mindset of being like having prepared, right? So you've done everything that you can and you've prepared yourself at a level that allows you to execute the best race on the day, given the weather, given how your nutrition settles in your stomach, given all everything around you, all the circumstances, all the other people racing. And within that container, you are able to problem solve on the day, that's actually the person that wins the race. The ones mm-hmm. that the one that's willing to stay adaptive regardless right. of what's happening around you. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love um, the sport so much. 
<laughs> that is apparent, and it's like <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I it sort of makes me wish that I wanted to do it. You should, and that that actually <laughs> that last piece that I was just talking about to uh, the effect of you know, being in problem solving mode, that's what I hope to share with these athletes that are in the movement right? as they come through. Because the, the premise of it, the simplicity of it was just pairing coaches and athletes. Again, I wanted to keep it simple. So it was an easy yes for people, but I'm so excited to be able to support them in more than just the coaching. So I have companies that are sponsoring the athletes, giving products within every realm, swim, bike, run, recovery, nutrition, um, uh, sun sunscreen, like all of the things, anything wow. that they would need. A kit. I have a company that's that's generously giving them a try kit, top and bottom, for them to oh my train gosh. and race in. Yeah, super exciting. And also sponsoring their first race registration. We're going to do a scholarship oh. program for them as well, so they're set and ready whenever the racing does begin. And then over the course of the three months, we're going to offer some nutrition calls over zoom, you know, make it virtual and easy mm-hmm. for people to attend, um, running biomechanics. I will be offering mindset coaching for them. I also have professional triathletes that are going to do a zoom call so that these new athletes can see people at the top end of the sport and be able to ask them any question that they want from oh a beginner gosh. level to all the way up to that, um, professional level, which is so exciting, right? For those all athletes right. to be able to ask anything that they want And, you know, maybe even something around, like, the perfectionist side of things. We'll see what comes up. Yeah, that just knocking down those barriers to information and Mm -hmm. making it accessible has got to really, I mean, just shift the whole trajectory of these athletes who are interested in, in racing their first triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I hope to provide for them. And again, still along the same, along the path of it, not being tied to it looking a certain way, you know, as the one that's facilitating, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because when I get tied to everything being perfect, then I lose sight of the fact that really the experience is for the athletes. And I did have to constrain a little bit when I launched it. It blew up way bigger than I anticipated. My original (laughs) goal was 30 athletes, which I thought, how in the world am I going to find 30 athletes, 30 BIPOC athletes? As I mentioned, I live in Bozeman, Montana. I am like 99% positive that I'm the only colored person, colored triathlete that swims at the pool currently. So being able to like go out and find them in my community, I knew I was going to have to leverage the power of social media. And... I think the simplicity of it allowed it to be shared and people to buy into the idea quickly. Um, but then I had amazing ideas thrown my way. Like, can we mentor athletes? Can we donate gear to the athletes? Can we, can we donate money to the athletes? What can we do? And I came back to my two, my two guiding principles. One, I have to be willing to get it wrong. And two, I want to keep it simple. So I decided to constrain and hold off on like the mentorship and the gear donations, maybe for the next round or in the future, because I don't want this to be a one and done, but instead focus entirely on making sure that the athletes and coaches get connected in a powerful way, providing those scholarships for the first race registration, and then allowing anyone in the public to also purchase the same kit that the athletes are racing in, that triathlon racing kit to, Uh to support the movement 
And also that money that they, that they spend on the kit will be donated right back to the scholarship fund. So it's all funneling into supporting the athletes in that way. But staying constrained in that really allowed me to focus on making a bigger impact instead of spreading out in too many directions. So what specifically did you have to do to stay constrained? Because I could see how easy it would be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'll yeah. do that and I'll do that and I'll do that. And then it you know, becomes this overwhelming thing where yeah. it's not nearly as effective as it could have been. Right. And I had to check in with how each suggestion fell in line with the greater vision of this first round, maybe not the greater vision of where this might go in the future, but at least right now. And also, to be honest, how I felt when someone Mm -hmm. suggested something, if it was exciting and something I was ready to, that felt in line and I was excited about, I was Uh into it. If I got like anxious about it, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to manage to add this on? Then I knew it wasn't right for now. I knew that it just didn't fall in line with the original vision of simplicity and impact for the athletes. For example, with the scholarship for the uh, race registrations, my original plan was to do the scholarships myself, was to uh, Mm -hmm. set up a scholarship fund, which I had never done before. And I thought, oh, I'll just figure it out. And um, (laughs) when I was talking to Michelle Landry from Smashfest Queen, she's the one that designed the logo and the kits, she was asking me, she said, just casually, so are you going to make a 501c3? And I was like, uh, yep, yep, that's what I'll be doing. Uh, sure, that's definitely what I need to do because now that I think about funneling in money, it obviously can't go through like my personal line business account, so I'll need to right. do that. And around the same time, a company called Fund Her Try, which already does race registrations to increase women participate, uh, female participation in triathlons had reached out to me, um, interested in partnering. And I had responded, kind of started a conversation, but really my interest was in supporting the entire movement. And I also have males in the movement. So I didn't want to segregate the males out of the, the scholarship fund just because this company wanted to be a part of it. So I looked into the 501, setting up the nonprofit, <laughs> yeah. and I was immediately like, oh my gosh, this is so much. Okay, yeah. do I pay someone to set this up for me, or like, what are my options here? And so I felt that anxiety just overwhelm me, like, okay, this is, this is a big ask. A, do I still want to do scholarships? And the easy answer was yes. And then B, I thought, okay... What are my options beyond if I, if I am not willing right now to create this, this nonprofit? Potentially in the future, I might want to, depending on see, seeing where this goes. What are my options? So I went back to the company, Fund Her Try, that had reached mm-hmm. out, and we set up a call. And I just made it a non-negotiable to, to support the males and females. And luckily, they were 100% on board to be, they wanted to be a part of the movement, they wanted to support, and so they're going to do a fundraising campaign that supports the movement as a whole, male and female, and for me, I still get to become the facilitator of it and supporting a company that already has a nonprofit that's already doing the piece that I wanted included into the movement. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, Janine, I don't know if you noticed, but Vanessa is um, following the two things that we talk about all the time. I which didn't is notice that. know your why and mm. let it be easy. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> Those are our that's two exactly things. what I did. Yes, <laughs> if, we, if we were doing a video interview, you would see that 
I've been, I would, I was sitting here, I've been sitting here nodding my head and smiling the whole, however long we've been talking. It's just like everything you say resonates so much with our message. And it's yes. just very exciting to hear about. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that, that, um, getting really clear on your why, like Janine and I have talked about a number of times, like with this podcast, um, one of the things that one of the prerequisites for us is that it's fun. Mm. And so we keep coming back to that. Like, is it fun? We're going to keep doing it as long as it's fun. And, yeah. you know, as long as we feel like we're doing good and helping people and, you know, being able to to use that as a constraint for how you take action is so helpful. And then you are like masterful at let it be easy. That's, I think that is so, so key because again, a confused mind says no. And when we pile on a bunch of no's, then we're just stalled and we don't right. make progress in whatever it is that we're working towards. Right, right. And it's interesting because you see that not only from the point of the athlete, like, you know, you want the coaches and the athletes to be able to say yes to this. Yes. So you need to make it easy for them to understand. And then you're also doing it for yourself. Like, yes. you know, I need to um, understand this so I can move forward. Exactly. Easy yeses all around. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. That is so great. So you start you basically doubled the participation that you were expecting. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. And, you know, to be 100% transparent, I, so I um, launched and within, I first sought out to get coaches because I thought if I get a bunch of athletes and I don't have anyone to coach them, then I'm going to be stuck in a little bit of a, a, a tough yeah. spot. <laughs> So I found the coaches first and then I did an open call for athletes. And that is when I saw the power of social media. I've never been on the receiving end of that. It was crazy to see how quickly the message spread. And within like 30 hours, I had 36 submissions into, I did a job form, which was crazy. So I thought, okay, I really want to increase to be able to support. I didn't want to turn a lot of people away. I wanted them to be a part of it if they were interested. Um, and so I, I, again, I increased that capacity, but I also needed to limit it at some point just for logistics to make right. sure that everyone's supported. And now fast forward, and this is, I think this is really important for, you know, the perfectionist side and for your listeners to hear, I'm at this place now where my goal was to allow the coaches and athletes to have their three months of coaching, free coaching begin in July. So it would be July, August, September, but I also allowed the coaches to do whatever is going to work for them. I didn't give them specific parameters. I wanted it to be easy, like we're saying. So just mm -hmm. bring that athlete into your, your little bubble and however you communicate with your current athletes, do it the same way. If you want to delay the coaching because you want to like get to know them a little bit better, whatever was going to work for their pairing, I wanted them to have the freedom to make the choice. But I wanted to set it up so that it could start as early as July 1st. And now I'm actually in a place where I have some coaches who have reached out to their athletes because they asked the coaches to be responsible for reaching out to the athletes and the athletes have not responded yet. So some connections haven't been made. And oh, wow. it was my goal to have all the athletes and coaches connected by like 
a week ago. (laughs) And here I am a week later and I'm in this place where I had 50 athletes that responded and I sent the confirmation email they were in, but they haven't taken the steps to connect with their coach and really be in to start the process. Mm. So for me, you know, my commitment is 50 athletes. That's what I committed to. So I'm doing what I need to do to get those 50 athletes in. And that, you know, for that creates this opportunity to problem solve. Okay, if I have people that aren't responding, how many times am I going to reach out to give them the opportunity to be a part of this beyond before I allow someone else? Because I have people who have submitted who didn't make the first 50 who also want to be a part of it. So it's just a really interesting place to be in where I want to support the people who submitted right away, but also there's this sense of personal responsibility for them to be responding to the coach and really start that relationship to move forward. And I'm kind of in that place of, you know, juggling that piece. Right. While not judging myself for doing it wrong the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, there, it's not doing it wrong. Like, you know, this is human nature, people are going to sign up for something and then maybe second guess themselves. Yeah, yeah, especially in this, in this space of trying something entirely new. And in my first email, I, I, um, I tried to adjust, address those concerns with the athletes, you know, uh, calm their nerves a li- as much as I can and say, like, I understand this is something new. And I'm, you know, um, impressed and proud for you to, to reach out and want to be a part of something new. But of course, human nature, we're always going to um, have those doubts come mm-hmm. in. And as much as I can ease the doubts, it might not happen. It might not be the right time for them, which is also okay. Right, right. So I'm curious, you've had this amazing experience of like really getting comfortable with a good enough practice Mm -hmm. and, you know, having to let go of perfectionism. Are you finding that it's easier to operate at a good enough level in other aspects of your life? Mm. (laughs) It depends on which aspect of my life we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think this movement has given me a greater um, example, a greater picture of what it how powerful it can be to live within this space of good enough and how much impact and traction we can still make while not being attached to it being perfect. So, you know, like I mentioned, I've been racing long course triathlon for over a decade and that experience and things not going perfectly, even when I thought it would, gave me the the experience to fall back on and say, okay, I can do my best and it not turn out the way that I thought it would, or Mm -hmm. I can do what feels terrible and it turn out better than I thought. You know, like there's the, (laughs) there's both sides of the coin in terms of, in terms of my racing and my training, especially, you know, I can have the thing about long course triathlon that has really shown up for me in this space is we train under so much fatigue. I'm like constantly in a state of fatigue. The only time that I'm fully rested is when I'm about to race. So like I'm going to go out for a nearly two hour run in about 45 minutes. And I, I'm also a fitness coach at Orange Theory Fitness. I coached four classes this morning. I've had four (laughs) calls since then. 
and I'm going to go run for almost two hours. So I know that that run's probably not going to be my best. But the, right. but the point of it is to spend time on my legs, get out on the trails, and get outside away from my computer screen. And that's good enough. There doesn't, doesn't have to be an attachment to certain pace, certain speed, certain heart rate levels, you know, all of that data metrics. So right. that's definitely another place in my life that I have found some freedom in the good enough because I think that I can show up to my training in a more confident and grounded place because I'm not always attached to it being perfect. And then in my business, as I mentioned, this movement has really given me a greater lens into how good enough can still be impactful for people. And that's where I'm learning to bridge that gap of of getting my message across, sharing how I can help people and in what way I can help them. And it doesn't need, it can be good enough and there can still be a message that's, that's communicated in that way. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, and I'm really happy for you that you're like carrying these learnings over into your coaching business because, um, it just you you'll be able to help even more people at a different level um, when you allow yourself to you know be happy with the B minus. Yeah, yeah. That something be a tells me you, something tells me you never have a B minus though. Actually, <laughs> I think that that you're. Um, I don't know. When it comes to marketing your business, I hope your enthusiasm that I'm hearing now resonates into that as well. And it would not be a B minus. Don't you think that that's like subjective though, right? We're always our own worst critics. Oh yeah. So to me, I'm like, oh, that's like barely B minus. And to (laughs) other people, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that's why B minus work and being like good enough has to be good enough. Because we're, we're taking our own perception of what it needs to look like and putting that on other people. Yes, that's a good point. Very good yes. point. And that's where the problem comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. I, that's such a good distinction. I don't think I'd really thought of it that way. Yeah, I didn't either until I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, smart things just come out of your mouth. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to use that. That's good. That's good <laughs> <Yeah>. for a Friday. <laughs> oh, that is so great. Well, um, it has been so wonderful to talk to you today. And it has been amazing um, to watch. Like, I can't believe it's just been three weeks that, like, you created this whole thing just three weeks ago. Yeah, I can't believe it too. And I'll tell you what, the three weeks have gone by so fast. And I, I'm definitely, I go through this roller coaster of, okay, it's been three weeks, so much has happened, but also it's been three weeks, not enough has happened. So just another place <laughs> for me to check in and be in that space of good enough and know that I am making progress every single day. I'm continuing to have more companies come on board. I'm, I'm committed to finding the 50 athletes and I'm committed to this being the start of something really great that could change the landscape of triathlon. Mm, well, thank you for doing it because it, I feel like this is the sort of movement that will ripple out in ways that you can't even imagine. That's what I hope. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's, that is a driving force. I hope for that as well. 
That's great. Well, any other questions, Janine? <laughs> no, I'm just absorbing all this, and, and I want to just say thank you so much because it's truly inspirational. I have, I couldn't, I couldn't be further away from your ideal client, and yet, <laughs> I am so inspired by what you said today. Um, so it's not just those; it's not just triathletes who are going to be benefiting from this. That's for sure. Oh, thank you for that. I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Any last words for you, Vanessa? No, it's been so fun chatting with you. Thank you for having me. That's that's all I have. Great. Well, thank you for being here. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. You can reach us on social media at gettingtogoodenough.com. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at gettingtogoodenough. On Twitter, we're at GTG Enough. And you can always leave us a voicemail at 413-424-GTGE. That's 4843. Um, And Vanessa, your website, we'll also put it in the show notes, but it's vanessafayforster.com, right? That's right. And is there a, um, a website for the movement yet? There is, or? yeah. Launched yesterday. Oh, <laughs> yay! Uh, the, it's called www.diversifytriathlonmovement.com. Awesome. Well, and we will also have that in the show notes. So anyone who wants to learn more about it, Um, can find it there and but for now this is Shannon Wilkinson in Portland Oregon and Janine Adams in St. Louis Missouri and we hope that good enough is getting easier for you come on Janine don't you want to like train for a triathlon now I'd like to take a walk right now (laughs) Well, that's good enough. (laughs) Right.